Welcome to the first episode of the Jordan Innovation Lab Minority Experience Podcast, an exploration into the minority experience of different minorities at Jordan High School. Thank you guys for tuning in to the Minority Experience Podcast. I did want to put a little trigger warning in here. We get into some real topics. This is conversation that you have to be ready to listen to. So if you're not ready, maybe take the time or viewer discretion is advised. What's up, you guys? I hope you guys are doing well. My name is Grady, and today we're going to be talking about intersectionality. Um, intersectionality is a term that came out of the feminist movement in the 70s, as it was mostly led by upper middle class white women during that time. But there was a large voice of other women of color and um, lower class women that were not being represented in the movement. Cardi and Mohanty said in an email that what that means is we are living in an, at the intersections of overlapping systems of privilege and oppression. It describes how people can live in a society and face multiple ways in which people see them and interact with them. And it's not just one thing that defines their entire personality or how people see them in their demographic. Um, it was coined by Kimberly Crenshaw, um, the great and all right, that's where we're going to start. So first thing is we're going to go around and introduce ourselves. And if you guys could describe how intersectionality affects you most, that'd be super helpful. So my name is Grady. Um, I'm a senior and I'd say intersectionality affects me most in my race and my gender. I'm an African-American male. I don't think in general that being a man is a minority trait, but I do think as an African-American male that there are some things that are impacted from having both of those things interact with me. My name is Danielle. I'm a black queer woman who happens to be lower class as well. I'm Sylvia, a senior. I am a bisexual Asian woman who is Catholic, so being bisexual doesn't run well in my family. Um, my name is Victoria. I'm a senior, and I am a pansexual white woman living in America and living in a family that is very Christian and doesn't love the idea of me being pan and I think those things impact me the most. Hi I'm Nakia. I'm also a senior. I am a middle-class queer black woman in America. All right so thank you guys for introducing yourselves. How do you guys see intersectionality affecting you most but why is it important? Like you guys just told me how it affects you but why is it something that you guys find valuable to talk about and make sure that people know is a thing? I think it's important because people try to group their oppression and privileges into different things when in reality it affects them at the same time for example there could be a white gay woman and you can't just say like oh she's just a gay woman like no she's white which means she gets certain privileges so that's how i personally see intersectionality affecting people uh you just simply cannot separate what makes a person themselves specifically I agree. I think it's a really important to recognize the privilege that you do have in within your traits and identity within yourself. I think it's important to do that so we're not doing oppression Olympics and competing to be the most oppressed because you don't want to be the most oppressed. In an ideal world, we would all want to be held to an equal standard, but that's not what we have. So I think it's just important to recognize the good things that you do have in your life and learn about intersectionality so you can help other people i think one thing that goes along with privilege too is like people don't recognize that some things are privileged there are a lot of things that people do have access to or resources that people have access to that allow them to have a different type of privilege than other people might um resources are privilege or 
things that your family does. Like my mom personally is a career educator. So education was never something that I didn't have access to. One of my biggest privileges is that I've always, like I was reading at two years old because she ensured that I was always ready and on track to be better than the rest. So within intersectionality, we've talked about how privilege still needs to be kind of identified within people. What other progresses need to be made? One of the biggest things that we're seeing today is like rights to bodily autonomy for all people that have uteruses. It's it's a huge problem. Yeah. Um, and you have to you, you have to not only look at it through the lens of being a woman, because people with uteruses, it's not just women that have them. And also you have to look at the way that policies like this, laws like this will impact people differently based on certain intersecting identities that they have. Black people are always going to be more likely to go to prison than than white people for committing the same quote unquote crime and lower class people, they're not going to be able to travel, you know, to get an abortion if they need to. So it's important to recognize privileges like that. Yeah. Continuing on with that, also the reasons for having abortions for people that aren't white are typically stigmatized in awful ways. White women getting abortions is more common than black women getting abortions because typically when especially black women try to get abortions, it's said to be worse than a white person getting an abortion. So just the difficulties with being a different race and trying to get an abortion. And it's hard in general to be a woman in this country, especially when we're being treated only as our uterus. For example, scientists now are trying to use dead women to carry children, and that's it. They're brain dead, but will be used as just a uterus. So it's kind of dehumanizing to be thought of as just a reproductive function, and that's all. It is dehumanizing for a woman to be treated as that, or not even a woman, but a person born as a female. And, you know, a big part of abortion right now is just there are currently pills in pharmacies that can be bought to carry out an abortion instead of having to get the surgery done. But in the air right now is a policy which is saying that it should be changed and taken out of the pharmacy but that just calls in once more the privilege to, first off, be able to walk into a pharmacy and be able to afford that because they make this pill about $70, $80 in most places. And that's where money comes into play and different socioeconomic classes can struggle. And most of the time, it's the lower class that, you know, is very hesitant about having children in the first place because for people who know that they want a child, they should also know that it takes a lot of money and a lot of time and a lot of care and a lot of people are hesitant to bring a child into a world where they don't think that they can provide the care needed but it's not like they can control their choice to have it or not they're going to have it either way if they're pregnant most of the time because they can't afford a pill that is 70 to 90 dollars in a pharmacy one of the things that goes along with that is that not just the medicine is expensive but getting to those stores like these are all barriers that present people like not comprehensive sex education and just these are all barriers that people who might not have access to real-time information about what's happening in the world or what's happening in science and or even just information about comprehensive sexual education from the last century and not just abstinence-based education are more likely to present things that we see like needing more abortions and needing access to contraceptives and things that these communities also are not getting access to. That's how you know it's not about protecting these quote-unquote babies. 
is because it's still happening. It's just you're punishing people for it. Mm -hmm. Like, um, and like there are ways to actually decrease abortion rates that don't involve policing people's bodies. One hundred percent. Yeah, I believe if the healthcare system was more accessible to people, if things that people need in their lives aren't so expensive such as female hygiene products female undergarments to be honest because like some women they have very curvy bodies and like it's very 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 uncomfortable and unhealthy for them to not have the support with those curves and unfortunately those are also near to 70 to 100 dollars um so i mean if problems like these can be fixed then abortion rates are bound to go further down Mm. um so you were talking about like different body shapes that people have and how that can be difficult. How do you guys see navigating stereotypes within like your intersectionality and just what you've seen in the world, specifically maybe struggling to fit in or struggling to identify a certain part of it as you? Growing up, I went to a predominantly white school for really all of my life until I got to Jordan. Like when I got to Jordan, I had never seen that many black people that weren't family in one place. So I grew up getting like these little sly comments and I grew up not looking like the girls around me. I had curly, poofy hair. I was going through puberty before everyone else. I had no idea who I was because I was around so many white people. I developed the same mannerisms, I guess, as them. And I was told by my family, oh, stop talking like that. You're not white, you're black. Like, oh, Valley girl, stop doing that. And that would follow me. I was like, there was a point where I like literally just didn't want to be black anymore. You know, like I wanted the straight hair. I wanted the like skinny body. I wanted to be like my friends and the people I was around. And it took me forever to kind of grow out of that. I heard you guys mention something about hair. And I, that was something that I really, really struggled with all of my life. Like my mom, my mom and my grandma would do those little plaits in my hair with the bows and I would be like, no, mommy, I want to wear my hair down like the girls in my class. Like, I want to, I would It do... takes too long, baby. Right. Like, no, you're going to sweat it out. It's not going to last long enough. We don't have time to do your hair every day. Like, I, then in middle school, I started to go to a salon and get it, getting it straightened every two weeks. Like, so much money, so much. They didn't use heat protectant either, so I ended up damaging my hair really badly but I grew up with like longer my hair is kind of mid-length it's not really long but they don't expect black women to have hair at all so I would be in the hair salon these ladies would be like oh so what are you mixed with your hair is so long and pretty which one of your parents is not black and I'm like what do you mean like both of my parents are black and these would be black women and like these are 50 year old black women coming up to me asking that like even black people don't realize that black people can be all shapes shapes sizes colors we can have any type Mm -hmm. of hair any type of body any type any eye color any you know yeah that definitely plays into um internalized and interracial uh racism yeah i remember growing up as like a light-skinned kid I was kind of given like a superiority complex by the people like my family. They'd be like, oh, you have the good hair. You're you're so light and like beautiful, all this stuff. And it, I was internalizing this. I was like, oh, I'm better than everyone, you know, because I'm being told that. And it got to a point where like my cousin, who's a little darker than me, well, she's dark skin and she had a crush on this guy and I had never met this guy, but she told him he was like, oh, well, I like your cousin because she's lighter than you. And I remember, I don't, I was about 10 years old and I was just like, oh, he likes me, not you. I, he was like eight. 
And I'm like, who's teaching these children this, you know? Black girl hair is beautiful, but, like, it took me a long time to realize that. Yes. I remember um, in elementary school, I have this very vivid memory of, like, wrapping towels around my head and pretending to have white girl hair when I got out of the shower because it made me feel all beautiful. And I learned that this is a thing that a lot of black girls did. And I remember being so excited every time I would go to the hair salon to get it straightened. Even though getting it straightened is painful, it takes a long time, and it takes a lot of money, I was still so excited to do it because I was so excited for when I got to feel pretty. And it took a really long time for me to realize my Afrocentric hair is really pretty. It took me to, like, high school to figure out, like, these braids that my mom used to put in my hair during the summer months when I would get all sweaty. Those were really pretty. Yeah. <laughs> I would dread getting cornrows every summer. I was like, oh, mommy, yeah. no, I don't want yeah. braids. I want my hair flat ironed. I remember, um, I remember having, like, I remember having, like, a little mohawk. Oh, the neighbor, yeah. Like, I, like, it was, it was cool. I looked cool. Braids were cool as hell. I looked and I cool, hated yes. I, yes, yes, that's very true. When I was in kindergarten, I had my first set of locks. And I remember that I loved them so much until people started saying that my hair looked like worms. And they'd say that my head what? was dirt and that the worms were growing out of the dirt. And I, I then began to have this love-hate relationship with my hair that was so toxic because of the jokes and the way that people joked about black people hair just because it came from a black person and it's different than what they had like there was a very long time when i hated my hair because i like i always thought if i did grow it again people would just say like i'm dirty and i look like there are worms and that that was something that took me a long time to do and i think like that's one of those things that kind of is a little unique to like being a black man is that the journey of your hair is usually so stereotypical to what the culture says is happening and what's cool right now. Um, like getting your high top fade in middle school in your sixth grade year is one of the quintessential things you have to do. But it also was something that almost defines who I had to be. Like my hair became a part that people thought that I was comfortable with them touching it just because I was a black man with longer hair. Like you're going to call my hair worms and then want to play with it. Like, it was just not good. Yeah. Like, I, being a black woman with, like, uh, really, really thick curly hair. I'm not really sure what, what hair type it is. I, I don't know how to measure that. Like, <laughs> how do you like do five that? five different curl like, types. Like, how do you do I that? Know. I saw someone coin the term, like, texturism. And I feel like that describes how I felt whenever I saw, like, people with the quote-unquote good hair. You know, that they, they get told they got quote-unquote good hair. Yeah, I remember feeling so jealous that I wish, like, my curls were looser. And then there's also, like, your... Is there also, like, hair being tied to, like, femininity? Yes. I always felt really uncomfortable. Like, I liked when I had my hair down, but in a way, I felt like I was kind of, like, like an imposter almost. I felt the same way sometimes when I was wearing, like, skirts and dresses and things. Yeah. Like, I felt like this isn't for me. I still remember, like, when I started to realize that my hair was beautiful. Um, sixth grade, I wore my hair natural to school for the first time, and all you little white girls oh. were like, oh, my God, how did you get your hair like this? Oh, my God. And I was like, oh, this is honey, naturally water. Is. Is like, water. <laughs> and I, like, started to grow to love my hair, but it took so long. Like, even now, to this day, I still, like, only feel pretty when my hair is down or when I have braids in. So it's like... 
This is why I hate it when white people say it's just hair. Yeah. Like, like that's like following the Eurocentric beauty standard that you have to look exactly like those, like the European like beauty standard that is carried on into America, where America is way more diverse than those areas. And you're expected to fit perfectly into that cookie cutter woman that I don't think many people will ever achieve. Yeah. Yeah, I, I feel like I've had a very unique experience when it comes to hair and style. I went to a charter school from third to sixth grade, which was heavily, there was a lot of black kids and Hispanic kids, of course, white kids, but hardly any Asians. I really, I had two Asian best friends, I remember, but they both left the school. And so I would surround myself with, you know, mainly black girls because I was like, they're POC as well. I mean, they're, they're not going to judge me for my culture because they know what it feels like. But then I faced... I faced a lot of issues just like being told you'll never understand, which I know that, but being constantly told that and being excluded out of certain things and even looked down on was very frustrating to the point where like I tried cornrows. I I learned it. I was like, I wanna be able to braid hair. I, I love I love your hairstyle. Like I want to feel like I belong and I just never did because it's not for my hairstyle. It's not for me and I really struggled with like accepting my culture specifically I was constantly trying to fit into somebody else's because if not they would laugh at me um there comes with like styles as well like twerking yeah it's very funny to laugh at but being looked at in a room full of like black girls who could twerk and being like oh so you're so stiff it's because you're not black like it's very it's very like hurtful in a way for me and then I would go to the white girls and they're like they they legit can't twerk and I'm like, y'all. And um, no, but for me, it was more just like trying to fit in so hard into a group that just wasn't for me. And I'll, you know, I'll surround myself with black people because that's what I found refuge in eventually, just because white people just were really mean to me. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, even, but even then, I wasn't welcome i still feel like i'm not welcome sometimes um i will be sitting in between some and i'll make a comment and they'll look at me like i'm stupid and they'll all just exchange like a glance to one another and i'm like i'm sorry i i'm sorry that i'm me <laughs> but yeah i mean so it, it, there's just like certain that there's just certain stereotypes where like also races aren't supposed to get other races if that makes sense yeah. like you'll yeah. never understand us um, or like you'll never be us like I don't want to be you but let me at least try to understand if that makes sense the something you said to me I really really like resonated with it was like wanting to fit into other cultures as opposed to your own you know yeah. what I mean I all throughout middle school really I and part of freshman year I wanted to be literally anything but black like I got an ancestry kit done and I was like praying that like I could be like 50% anything else right um and after getting it back, it was like, you're black. Like, it's hate to break it to you, but... Yeah, I mean... Hey, cuz. But, like, I would, like... I would teach myself all these different languages and be like, I'm this thing, and, yeah. like, I'm part Hispanic. No, you're not. You're yeah. not. You're there's not. Also, like, <laughs> there's also, like, the stereotype with bodies. Um, I feel like, especially now, with a lot of K-pop and K-drama becoming mm -hmm. a big thing, I'm expected to look like them. And realistically, those women and men, they starve themselves. They're on an extreme workout regime. They all get plastic surgery they at one point like or another. They eat like an apple a day. 
Yeah. Um, literally, so, literally really like, horrible. I've seen a girl be like, I eat three oranges a day. I think it was IU. Okay. Yeah, and then for some people to, like, look at me, and I'm, like, a bigger, like, Asian, to be honest. Like, down my family line, we have never been, we've, we've never been the rich family, especially in Asia, like, in South Korea. We came from a line of farmers or just, like, educators who didn't get paid a lot over there. Um, and with that, become there just comes, like, a heavier set for some reason. Um, and so it's been rough being around, like, different cultures and then being like, are you sure you're Asian? You're, like, really thick to be one. Uh, I've had a man come up to me and ask, am I sure I'm not Latina because I'm too curvy to be Asian? And there's just that whole, like, it's very frustrating. People are like, why don't you look like a K-pop person? I'm like, I don't know. Why Take don't you look them. like this person? <laughs> like, like putting ideas. Why don't you look like Taylor Swift? <laughs> why don't you look like Beyonce? Oh, oh my yeah. god! One time I was at a like oh, karaoke. Yeah. Why can't you sing they, like Beyonce? This guy told me I was like that I looked like Rihanna, and I was like, "Are you sure?" Huh? Like the you know the what? Oh the yeah, cook? yeah. The place yeah. where they cook in front of you. It was at a birthday like, party. Like, Rihanna, and I was like, uh, "Um, huh? Thanks, but what? <laughs> I mean, that's a compliment. I think I he's guess. talking about the forehead." <laughs> Damn. Wow. I definitely like can attest to what you're saying about the body types and not being able to fit in always. Like I, I've always been a bigger black kid. Like it's just always been the case. I came out two years old at five foot, and it was Aww. like not not really, but, <laughs> <laughs> but I, I've always been tall. I've always been like heavy set and it's just been the case and people have always told my mom like he's gonna be a big black king one day you gotta teach him how to treat the ladies so when he's a big black king he knows what he's doing and that's like he's two years old he can't wipe his behind yet what are you doing trying to teach a man how to do like teach him how to be a man he's got to be a boy first like just because of my size and my race and my gender i get excluded from being a kid like there have been things that have been taken from me like the simple joys of riding in a car every now and then there was the point where i was terrified of police just because my mom was like you're five and you're already like four foot you need to be prepared for the reality that there could be a day when you get pulled over and no one sees you again because that's real like relating to that body type is definitely true i i I struggle with it every day like people make comments that they think are funny like relating to my mask like oh like the other day for example i was walking out to get water and some guy some guy yelled down the hall hey grady and i looked and he was like oh i only knew it was you because of your sure your sheer mass like you're bigger than everyone else in the hallway and it made me feel really self-conscious because it's like I stick out like a needle in a haystack. Like I'm I'm just huge and that's all people know me as. It feels like something that starts to define you over time. Yeah. Um, if you don't fit the like the typical narrative. Yeah. I kinda wanted to touch on that a little bit as well. Um, I come from my mom's family has always been very uh, I mean, I guess my mom in particular, she wasn't raised with a lot of money. My mom always carried a lot about appearances because when she was younger, she never felt beautiful enough. Um, but as she got older and got the money to do the things that she wanted to do to make herself feel better about her body, um, that affected me a lot growing up because I, I, was, I wasn't ever, like, on the larger side, but I wasn't, like, a stick like she, like, wanted to be when she was younger, so she kind of put that onto me. And so I, I was just a little bit above where my weight should have been at the age of 10, and she, like, kind of freaked out about it and was calling me overweight and stuff. And I was like, 
I'm like, I was like five pounds over where I should have been. And so that changed my whole idea of who I was just based off of the way that I looked, which I don't think anyone should be deduced to their, the way they look. And I don't know, since then I'd struggled with my eating and people were like, oh, how do you, like, you're, 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 I have body dysmorphia. I don't even know what I look like, but people will be like, you're, you're like on the thinner side. Why do you, why do you, why do you this? Why do you that? And I will never be comfortable with who I am, despite the way I look. Body image is so important to your identity because it is forced to be. I wish that I could just yeah. be seen for the person that I am, not for the way that I look. Yeah. Beyond that, I don't even know what I look like anymore. So like, true. I'm, so true. <laughs> I mean, I don't know about y'all, but my family, mm-hmm. especially just Asian families in general, you go see them, they're going to be like, oh, you've gained so much weight. Yes, and it's not, you're so skinny, you need to eat more, it's your fat. Like, like, you'll hardly eat the next day, and they're like, oh my god, you're so skinny, you need to eat more, yeah. and I'm like, you just fat shamed me yesterday, what are exactly. you talking about? Oh but, I mean, sorry, I don't mean to, like, switch up the conversation, but because we have a little time, um, I just want to touch base on the fact, like, there's way more things that pertain to intersectionality and differences. For example, there's fetishization over yes. race. Um, there's just so much. Wait, people being like, I want a mixed baby. Like, that is weird. And then also, like, people, like, fetishizing Asian women being like, damn, I want an Asian girl. I heard that in the hallway the other day, and I was like, Like, literally, I I got approached in fourth grade being told, I want to date you because you're Asian. And that's when I found out the whole stigma around Asian women. And, of, of course, as I grew up, it was, like, over the fact that Asian women were being forced upon by men in the past when they were being colonized and i'm not going to go too in depth due to um explicit reasons but of course when a woman isn't in the mood to do sexual acts her body's not ready and those men found that very very attractive which is not okay um same with black women black women are perceived as ready to have kids at such a young age because they were forced to when they were younger their the the history in america is that they were made to have kids at the age as soon as they hit like their as soon as they had their period they were like okay now you have to have my kids um and unfortunately that has been carried on through generations and is still unfortunately a fetish the amount of men who will come up to you and will say i want you because you're this race and same with men people will go up to men and be like i want you because you're this race and it's not okay there's such yeah. a huge stigma I get it around about certain body that, parts yeah, yeah. it's and, just like like i was saying about being a two-year-old being called a big black man like yeah, no like, i'm what? two years old it's like yeah. it's like infantilization and then it's and then just, adultification. The yeah, like the two yes. sides of the coin like black women are always seen as oh you're so mature for your age and, and then, then like if you're short it's like Oh, you're so short. I like that about it. Like, and it's weird. so unfortunate weird. because, like, sometimes, I mean, I hate to say this, but, like, sometimes when you don't fall under that stereotype, you feel horrible about yourself just because those people have made you feel like you should be a certain way and you cannot mm. help but compare at such a young age. And it's completely unfortunate. Just the multiple intersectionalities of things. And, of course, as this podcast goes on, we will touch base more on in-depth things all right you guys thank you so much for joining us today we really appreciate you for listening um catch us back in two weeks to catch another episode of this and yeah beautiful all right have a great day all right bye everybody bye Bye, guys. guys